Hi, Rachel. Hi, Anna. So, I'm super excited. It is episode one of our podcast. And today we said we wanted to talk about what is love and why should we care about it? Yes, I can't wait. I'm so excited for this. First episode. Going to be brilliant. So, I think this is such an interesting place to start. Because when we were talking about a podcast and what we were going to do with it, how we wanted that to be we came up with this idea of love as the central theme that kind of unified what you do and what I do together. And then I went away and tried to explain it to people. And they were like, it's a podcast about love. What? So <laughs> how have you been telling people, why do we care about love, Rachel? Oh, why do we care about love? Love is central to everything that we do. And it's everywhere, isn't it? Like we look on, on the telly when we turn the, the TV on, it's in adverts, it's in dating shows and apps, it's in all our films and movies. It's like a huge industry. And you'd be forgiven for thinking that love is just about romance and sex because that's primarily what we're shown. But it's not. Lo- love is central to all of our interactions as human beings. It is the core of every relationship that we have, or it should be in my worldview. What do you think? Yeah, I totally agree. And I think it even goes beyond that in that there's the self-love aspect of it as well. I always remember a training that I did and it was like the first personal development training I ever did back in my former career. And the woman who was running the training said she wanted us to list the five most important people in our lives. And I listed like my partner at the time and my best friends and my cats made the list. And, and she was like, right, so these are the people you love most in the world, right? And I was like, yeah, looking at the list, that's a good list. I've got friends, I've got a partner, like romantic love is there. I've got pets, I've got it nailed. And she totally blew my mind because she was like, how many of you have put yourself at number one on the list? And I was like, mm-hmm. I'm not even on the list. <laughs> and I think that, Again, like you say, when you hear self-love, you think, oh, positive affirmations and these mushy, woolly concepts. But actually, I think we need to see love much more wider as paying your bills on time can be an act of love. Having a shower can be an act of love. If you're feeling really grimy, how good does it feel to have a shower? That is an act of self-love towards yourself. But you wouldn't necessarily think of it as rooted in love. And I think we just need to expand our definition to be much bigger and bolder. And from there, it can change how we just show up in the world. I agree with you so much. Like, it's not about a feeling. We often think that love is a feeling. And there are feelings that go with it. But it's that doing. It is that taking a shower or paying a bill or making yourself a hot drink when you need one, or going to bed earlier to get more sleep. And not just for yourself, it's for other people as well. So like those everyday loving interactions that we have, like that stranger that you see that you walk past in the street and give a smile to, or the person at the till when you're buying something from a shop that you have a brief chat with. It's all of those social interactions that make up a loving society. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's, there's so much of them. I asked actually my um, Facebook friends what everyday love meant to them. Um, and I got such a good, shall I read some of the oh, responses yeah, I would out? I love that. So they got, I love some of these. Like um, 
when the cats give me a little head bump hello I think mm-hmm. that may have been you Anna yeah that, that was my suggestion and I'm looking at the cat that did it right now so I, that is a that's a very me one pets are definitely a good one um everyday love is when my kids give me a hug uh, an impromptu handhold or a hug from those nearest and dearest a chocolate bar sneaked into my hand from my dad I love that one that that mm. sneaky ego you deserve it coming home from camping to my mum having done all of our ironing my children making me things knowing how important it is to them for me to watch whatever new trick or thing that they've noticed in that moment my own one is my little boy when he's collecting leaves or stones or anything really when we're out he always makes sure that I have one as well and he'll say mommy leaf Oh, mummy lay down because he calls stones lay downs, but it's his own <laughs> made up word. He didn't know the word, so he made one up and I love it. And it's just, they're just everywhere. Cups of tea featured highly, morning brew, mm. making myself a cuppa, listening to the birds, just the everyday small moments of joy that we get. So mm. important. Yeah. And when I was reading that question that you put on, I thought it was a fantastic question. It made me think then as well about the the everyday actions of self-love that we do and how often we can deny ourselves those everyday joys. Like I always think of my mum and dad's house and they have their everyday plates and cups and glasses that they use. And then in their lounge, they have a cupboard with their best plates and their best glasses and their best crockery and their best china and I can't actually remember the last time any of the best stuff was used I think my mum will sometimes on Christmas day have a sherry out of one of the best sherry glasses but that's it that's the only time the the good stuff is used you have to use the the everyday stuff the rest of the time we deny ourselves don't we I I, I don't know why we do that Yeah. And I think it spills over. I remember in a Facebook community that I was in talking about how many, it was a collection of women, so I will say how many women in this, but how many women when they're dishing food will give themselves the burnt bit of food or the piece of pie that fell apart or the wonky fruit and give everyone else the beautiful looking fruit. Like Yes holding ourselves to this thing of everyone else gets the good stuff and then we can have something nice yeah is such a unloving way of treating ourselves and yet it's seen almost as virtuous as what a a, a good wife good mother good woman does is to put herself down the queue in just those little everyday acts of self-love as well and i think it's fascinating how we do that we're socialised to it, aren't we, from a really young age. That's our role, to give to others first and then we get what's left. When actually mm-hmm. we should be making sure that we have enough to give instead of burning ourselves out, f- filling our cup, so to speak. Yeah. And yet we we don't. Like, <laughs> everyone I coach, well, I say everyone, that's a, that's a bold statement. No, I'm staying with it. Everyone I coach... <laughs> comes to me at some level of fatigue burnout exhaustion weariness knowing that what they want to do to change the world is important and yet 
they're tired, they're going, oh my God, this is hard. Or, yeah, it's hard and I know it could be better, but I'm not getting there. And I often think that this this barrier that's in the place is love, is that whether it's everyday love from others to others, self-love, social love, love is the thing that's keeping a lot of us stuck when we're holding it at arm's length. Yes. And choosing to live our lives by a love ethic. So fully having it through the core of everything we do. And even asking ourselves that question when we're making decisions, is that loving? Is that a loving thing for me to do? Is that a loving way? And what you said about dishing up more to other people or or the better bits to other people, I think I've done that my whole life. Mm. And I've always had the lesser portion but not just to that even to best clothes like you talked about the best china best my mum had some funnily enough and I convinced her to use her best stuff as as every day and I had her old stuff because <laughs> I really liked her old stuff so I convinced her to use it but she loves it so now she uses her best china every day and it, that's maybe been the way for four years and I don't think she's had any breakages like that's the concern mm-hmm. isn't it that you're gonna lose the thing that you love so much but without using it and appreciating it what benefit Mm -hmm. do you get from that in your life yeah it's not a particularly uh demonstrative way of showing love to keep something in a box in a cupboard (laughs) no exactly (laughs) no no and I mean my mum had hers on display so they were quite nice to look at they're in a nice big glass cabinet but now Mm -hmm. she's got some ornaments in there and they're much better for keeping in boxes Mm. in cupboards yeah and I love what you said then, Rachel, about a love ethic and that being like the core of what you do. What characterizes a love ethic to you? Oh, there, there's a woman called Bell Hooks. Um, she's dead now. She's amazing. She's a, a feminist scholar, black feminist scholar. And she she created the idea of this love ethic. And it's about doing good for others. It's action for the good of others. There's some components to it. So there's five components that she talks about. She talks about care, which we all know about caring, having care for ourselves and other people. Commitment, so being really dedicated to a cause or an activity, person or thing. Knowledge, so having some degree of accurate understanding of whatever situation you're in. Yourself, so knowing yourself, knowing another person and and being really curious about that as well and keeping, not thinking that you're there with your knowledge. like. You never know it all, but continuous learning. Responsibility, taking responsibility for our own actions and a, a moral obligation to behave in a socially and morally just way towards other people, ourselves, with that self-love, our communities and our environment as well. Respect. So it does what it says on the tin, but again, for yourself, respect for yourself and another person and our communities and environment. And trust as well. So trusting yourself, trusting other people. And when your trust is broken, as it so often is in our society and throughout life, having that openness and receptivity mm. to trusting again and to to taking off the armour, as Brene Brown talks about armouring up, but taking that off and being vulnerable again and stepping back out when you're ready to, because obviously... When our trust mm. is broken, we have a period of healing that we need to do. But, you know, Bell Hooks is great. So she talks about love ethic. And then through the work that I do as a public health registrar, 
I've been looking at expanding her definition because she doesn't talk about the environment so much. She doesn't really talk mm-hmm. about community very much. It's much more about self and other. But her bell hooks's idea is that you can overcome the dominant systems of inequality in society with a love ethic. So oh. I've been working with some uh, some colleagues to to work up what social love would mean for public organisations that are making decisions about the lives of people living in UK society and how we can perhaps start to make decisions through a socially loving lens, through, through the lens of a love ethic. So it's really exciting. I'm glad you asked me that question because it's something that I really am passionate about and I firmly believe that if our public systems and organisations were socially loving, we'd have a lot less suffering in society mm-hmm. and a lot less trauma We'd be more yeah. trauma-informed. There's a lot of trauma-informed organisations at the moment anyway, which is really good, people adopting those principles. But it goes beyond that. It, it's about the whole way that you operate and, and with the ultimate aim of doing good, taking action for the good of other people, the good of our communities, our environment and ourselves as well. So there's no sacrifice. There's no possibility for exploitation of another. Mm-hmm. Wow, I love that. Absolutely love that. And it's really struck me, like, I was nodding the whole way through. I was like, yeah, (laughs) everything. I was like, thought it was spot on. But the one that really landed with me, strangely, was responsibility. Because that's a conversation I keep coming back to again and again at the moment of, like, whose responsibility is it? and. I think that a lot of us try and take on the responsibility of how other people act. Mm, yeah. We see others' actions as our responsibility and put a lot of pressure on ourselves to support others, heal others, fix others, fix the system for others. Yeah. And yet, at the end of the day, the only person who we are really, really responsible for is ourselves. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I think we sometimes get so focused on what we think are our responsibilities. And I'm not exempting myself from this here in any way. (laughs) There are no perfect people. There are like, we're all still in this ongoing process of working towards aligning with how we want to show up in the world. But we can get so distracted by this false notion of other people being our responsibility that it puts us into not okay. And then we lose sight of our own responsibility to embody the love ethic in our own lives. Yes, exactly. And I think we've been socialized to it as well. I think, again, this is a gender-based socialization in society where we are taught that fixing others and fixing things for others is our responsibility as a carer, as a caring person, the caring sex, as historically viewed. And it it is, it's damaging because we take on, well, I'm, I'm saying we, but personally, I take on so much and I know so many other people who take on so much as well. And responsibilities that aren't ours Mm -hmm. you know we can only be responsible for our own actions 
we all have a moral and social responsibility as well. But again, we can only be responsible for our own actions and what we choose to do in those spaces. So even for people who want to make a difference in the world, we often find ourselves taking on the taking on the responsibilities of others for which we have no control, like you say, and that's so hard. Yeah, yeah. And do you think, this is my what I've been musing on recently, that when we do that, we almost kind of give some of the other parties involved a bit of a free pass in not taking on their own responsibilities? Yes. A lot of the conversations I've had recently have been about enabling that by trying to take on responsibility for someone else, we're enabling them to stay comfortable in their own unloving actions, in their own unhelpful habits, in their own ways that aren't serving them. But by overstepping our responsibility, we're creating a situation where they can just kind of go, oh, someone else has got this. I can... I don't need to do this. Yeah. We're doing them a disservice. The people who we are taking on responsibility for when it is clearly not our responsibility, we do them a disservice. And it's, I think we sometimes have a role in supporting other people and taking their actions, taking their loving action towards themselves or whatever they want to do. Because, I mean, I've been on a personal development journey since I was 25. So it took to 25 and I'm now, I don't know how old I am. I've just had a birthday, 37. So over 10 years <laughs> of personal development and continued growth with some stalls. And I think you forget what you didn't know before you started mm. out. I remember so many light bulb moments that now they're just part of my everyday core script that I know. But at the beginning, they weren't. So I think we can support people by signposting them to, well, you might want to get some coaching or you might want to check out this course or this book or this mm. person's great at supporting or this program whatever but we can't do it for them so you mm. can you can give all that support and you can be there for somebody within the bounds of are you looking after yourself as well have you got a full cup are you able to give because I think often as well people who are assigned female at birth are expected to give even when their cup is empty and especially with emotional support so mm. Even even when you haven't got capacity to to be, bear the brunt of others' emotions, you're expected to to do that. I think we do have a role when we can with that with boundaries, with true yeah. boundaries of saying what we will do because because boundaries are often misunderstood. It's thrown around a lot the term boundaries now, and people think that boundaries are saying what you do and don't like, and, and they're not. They're about saying, okay, so I I, I don't like this thing. And if this thing continues to happen, I will do this. It's not mm-hmm. about the other person. It's not about trying to get the other person to change anything about themselves if they don't wish to, but it's about what you'll do as a result of that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's that the boundary has to have the follow-up of the what happens next. Otherwise, yes. it's not a boundary. It's just stating a preference. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like there's probably at least a whole podcast episode, probably multiple people talk <laughs> yeah. about boundaries. Because yeah. boundaries is, is such a difficult thing. I know you talked about your personal development journey in in the beginnings of my personal development journey, learning how to do a boundary. It was the big thing. 
because I hate personal development, like boundaryless. Um, (laughs) I remember doing an exercise where you were considering where your boundaries were and the idea that you have some people who are your nearest and dearest who have one set of boundaries and then you have your your more wider circle that has another set of boundaries and then you have kind of the people who aren't necessarily even your concern and they're outside another set of boundaries (laughs) and the first time I did the exercise everyone was in my nearest and dearest like the man on the street (laughs) could have probably popped into that category himself if he'd asked me for something (laughs) <laughs> and so then I went through the like, okay, no, where where do these people need to be? And looking at some of the relationships in my life and seeing it as an act of love to myself to go, actually, you're a person who might traditionally be classed in my nearest and dearest, but your actions are such that you need really firm boundaries. Like, you might call yourself my best friend, but you're not acting in a way that a friend should act. I'm going to put in some boundaries here. And I remember feeling unspeakably lonely because then going, oh my God, with all these boundaries, when I've pushed everyone back that distance, what does that mean about me as a caring, loving, kind person that I've suddenly gone, nope, boundaries, you're all at arm's length. And that process can really impact how we see ourselves as caring people centered in love. So I think boundaries is, there's there's juicy stuff in boundaries. Oh, yeah. It's like that, um, the whole identity, what you said about, it's like changing your identity, isn't it? From being a person who, well, it's redefining caring and love. Mm-hmm. It's redefining it because what we're taught it is, is not what it is. And in the English language, we only have one word for love. Whereas in mm. Greek, they have multiple. And in other languages, they have different ways of saying different types of love and and different elements of love Mm. and the idea of boundaries while you were talking then made me think about unconditional love and this concept of unconditional love existing and I know that as I was growing up I thought that in your romantic relationships you should love unconditionally Mm -hmm. and for me that meant no boundaries Mm. so my my early relationships really were boundaryless and as a result I was taken advantage of quite substantially (laughs) in a number of ways same (laughs) so I think we really need to address that concept that actually unconditional love does it exist I keep coming back to it does it exist I mean now I've had a child I do believe that it exists there is nothing that my boy could do that would make me stop loving him and if you think about the definition of love that we've talked about, as in act, doing taking action for the good of another person, like there is nothing that he could do that would make me stop loving him. Mm-hmm. And even in my other relationships, my friendship relationships and my romantic relationships, even while holding a boundary, I will still take action for the good of them where I can, but I'm also taking the action for the good of myself, which is why the self is so important in that definition mm-hmm. of love taking action for the good of others, yourself, community and environment, everything you should you do could be informed by those things to protect you, other, others and everybody else. What do you think about, I, I go around in circles about unconditional love because for, part of me thinks it doesn't exist, but then I think well, it does exist because I can still love 
a person without mm. having them in my life actively. Yeah. yeah, and I have a brilliant story for this actually. Oh good. That um so I do believe in unconditional love. I I feel like that's something I, I actually try to take a stand for unconditional love. But like you say, that's not unboundaried love. And, and so the story that I have, it was um, the, the first kind of coaching that I had. I, I went on a retreat that was all about healing love and love as an action. Like I started the theme very early in this coaching journey of mine. <laughs> But I booked up for that retreat because I was just coming out of uh, an abusive relationship. I was at a very low ebb. And in that state, the thing that was conflicting me most was unconditional love. This idea that I had promised to love this person and then had broken up with them and that was hurting them. And yes, it was an abusive relationship and... There's lots of complexities to that, but I do believe that that person was hurt by me leaving. And that to me felt awful. I was at an identity level questioning everything about myself. Can I be yeah. this stand for unconditional love if I've done this horrible thing of leaving my partner? And I remember sitting in the, the audience at this retreat, there was about 80 other women in the audience listening to the woman on stage who was delivering the retreat say you can act from love you can be loving and leave someone mm-hmm. and it blew my mind because i i was characterizing myself as unloving for putting that boundary in but actually now with the benefit of 6 plus years I can see that it was the most loving thing for both of us Mm. to leave. Yeah. Because the pattern that we were in wasn't serving him either. And by staying, what I was unconsciously doing was allowing it to continue in a way that was harming both of us. So I firmly believe that that was an act of unconditional love to him as well as to myself. That the most loving thing I could do in that moment was to end the relationship. And I haven't had contact at all since the end of the relationship. But I still believe that that was an act of unconditional love towards that person. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that I was condoning behavior that was unacceptable or that I was saying that he didn't need to take accountability for what he did. No. It is about unconditional love is still boundaried love, in my opinion. Yes. I love what you said about unconditional love is not unboundaried love. And that is what we have so often in society. In so many relationships, we have this imbalance in a relationship where one person has very few boundaries for whatever reason. And another Mm -hmm. person takes advantage of that because it's allowed. It goes back to what you were saying earlier about... Do do we do people a disservice by allowing them to sit back and not take responsibility for their own loving action? Will we do them a disservice by staying in an unboundaried relationship that we're not happy with? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes you have a relationship where there aren't any boundaries and you, you're just both really happy. 
<laughs> yeah. because you you fit and and it is how it is but where boundaries are needed they're, they're needed and they're needed for a reason I really yeah. like that I, I really like that story and and that explanation of unconditional love because that helps me to to fit some of my experiences into that as well mm-hmm. yeah and I think you can you can apply it to that wider social love definition as well and the love of the towards the environment and all those things of it's about the boundaries and the commitment to doing the loving action even when the loving action is really really tough which it sometimes is yes a lot of the decisions that we've got to make around environment and climate change and and sustainability are going to be tough are going to be Mm -hmm. difficult and they're going to impact most on those who have least Mm. especially if we don't do anything about it and so that that's why I'm so passionate about my career and why why I really enjoy my career because I get to remind people about that imbalance every day those inequalities of how the people who are least responsible for some of the issues in our society are the ones that are most adversely affected by them Mm. Um, and the ones that have the least resource to be able to do anything about it and so we have a responsibility when we have privilege in whatever shape or form it is and everybody to some extent privilege is another conversation we could have but everybody to some extent has um an element of disadvantage Mm -hmm. most people I know so so for me I'm a white woman I'm a woman so that that's my disadvantage in society but I'm white Mm -hmm. and I've had a lot of opportunities in my life that I've been able to maximize so I have a lot of privilege and I think acknowledging that is the first step to then being able to use it mm-hmm. and to to wield that and to empower other people on that path and that journey as well. Mm, definitely. I have so much to say about that idea of privilege and intersectionality that it's definitely a conversation for a different day. Yes. So thinking about the rest of this podcast, what would you love the people listening at home to be getting out of our chats that we're going to be have Rachel why should they tune in next time why should you listen apart from hearing Anna's brilliant stories and potentially seeing some cats on video if you're watching the video version yeah if you're watching on the YouTube I'm sure there will be cats at some point (laughs) people should tune in because we are talking about some of the grittiest issues in society and some some of the things that we've been led to believe, socialised to believe, are not in fact truth. And we'll mm-hmm. be presenting another version of truth that people listening can either assimilate with their existing ideas, replace their existing ideas, or tell us that they completely disagree and why, because we would love to know. We want to open yeah. debate up around some of this stuff and to learn as well. I mean, mm-hmm. my my hope for the next five, ten years is that through my work through my paid employment will be testing out the idea of social love and organizations making socially loving decisions and the impact of that like I want to hear what people think about that and I think people tuning in will be able to look after themselves better hear tips for reframing things perhaps and of course they get to listen to both of us so 
you know what it's do just you think, a win-win isn't it well, exactly yeah yeah and I love that and I I've been such a fan of your focus on organizations and what organizations can do I guess what I'm hoping to bring to it is the personal element to it that a lot of the people that I work with want to change the world but need that support to start with themselves like yes if if I got paid every time someone said if I was telling my best friend I'd know exactly what to say but when it's me I don't do it (laughs) I would be so rich because it's about them taking these things and centering them in ourselves in I think the hardest thing to do and that I'm going to talk about when we talk a little bit more about my work in a future episode the hardest thing in my opinion to do is to unconditionally love yourself without trying to take that as I need to change myself I'll I'll love myself when I'm x when I'm thinner when I'm better paid when I get that promotion when I tidy my house when it whatever that condition (laughs) we put on it is unconditional self-love is going oh god yeah I am messy and a bit loud and very rarely go for a full half hour without swearing I'm quite impressed I've kept it in for the whole of this podcast (laughs) me too (laughs) and I love myself and I think that's the challenge and that's the audacious part of love is doing the gritty stuff doing the hard stuff like loving your flaws just as much as you love your skills so there we have it that's why you need to tune in next time guys yes and i'll I'll be following along (laughs) as we go (laughs) because it's a forever journey so i'll I'll join you yeah (laughs) brilliant well that wraps us up for today hopefully we'll hear you next time and thank you rachel it's been a blast thanks anna see you soon